Episode 327, The Rant, Evan Conti, Holy Cross legend, Quinnipiac baller, former pro and coach. Coach Conti loves basketball through and through. In this pod, we discuss his early life playing ball, his experience in the Catholic League, his times playing in college, his memorable stint as a pro overseas, his time coaching at the college level, and coaching at the Level Up program. All that and more, my conversation with Evan, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest, former NYIT head coach, used to be the youngest in the nation at the collegiate level, Quinnipiac legend. What else? Holy Cross legend at some time, one point or another. Also, Holy Cross, man. Great times. Former Israeli pro. Currently a Level Up coach, as well as the co-host of the Level Up podcast with Jesse Winter, Mr. Evan Conti. How are you, my friend? What's up, man? Nice to get on your podcast again, have a feature, man. I appreciate you having me on. We got a, we got a lot of fun things to talk about today. Yeah, I was really excited to get you and Jesse at the same time. Second time for Jesse, first time for you. But, you know, I told you at that point that you had to get your own episode. And um, I'm really happy that I ended up leaving my microphone stands and we had to make this makeshift uh <laughs> Wine bottle with water and toilet paper, but we got it to work. I w- it was racking my brain for trying to figure out what we can use, but we, we <laughs> figured out the contraction. Man, no one knew you're vetted this. You've done almost, <laughs> almost three th- 300 episodes. Like, if anyone could figure it out last minute, it's you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been- already told you. I learned a lot just doing the podcast with you, and I watched you host and learn, all right, what's a different, unique way to conduct an interview? And mm. now I see, uh-oh, if something messes up, like... You got to improvise. Here you go. And we got a nice little setup that we definitely got to <laughs> share to your viewers, man. This is different, but it's working. Yeah, I was going to say, if you have Jay-Z in the elevator and you only got 10 seconds, you're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to open up the voice memo app on the phone <laughs> and then at least get him something. Um, but, you know, I, I we obviously you had the uh, Level Up episode. And by this time that we're taping this on, I think it was January 13th, second time that uh, President Trump's getting impeached. Yeah, it's just happening <laughs> as we speak right now. Yeah, I need a little break from uh, watch. I from literally CNN, watch. Right? <laughs> I watch it every day, probably for four years, every single day. Wow. Like without fail. Can't imagine how toxic that could be, man. Yeah. So uh, you can only watch so much politics before 
before it just gets overwhelming. I did mention, obviously, on the Level Up podcast, we we found out what you were doing with um, with the coronavirus and, and how it affected you with um, your team. And now you had to pivot to do Level Up things. And um, just talk about your day-to-day. So uh, we're obviously taping this at 1 o'clock. We're in your beautiful apartment, man. Appreciate you uh, having the hospitality of allowing me to open up your toilet paper pack and uh, <laughs> use it as a microphone uh, thing. But man, what, is, what is your day-to-day like now? So let, let's talk about today, now that you're not in the uh, ins and outs of what you would be doing as your second year of coaching. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely a lot different. So Wednesday, today, really, I start hang out in the morning, just get some rest, catch up on some sleep. We did we episode we added episode Monday and Tuesday for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Another thing I probably wouldn't be doing if all this stuff with the pandemic and everything that happened at Tech didn't happen. I wouldn't have the time, and that's something we'll touch on later. That's been just a huge thrill and something I really think I could do for a long time. Mm. But today, just clean up the apartment, get ready for you to come here, <laughs> think about some interesting things we could talk about, vibe it with you. See Mason over there in the couch doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Go to Holy Child at four o'clock and got a really good group of. I like working with the younger kids lately yeah. because even when I first started coaching at Tech, it was a nice shift of going from the seriousness of the college level to now getting away from all right, like the day-to-day grind of how serious everything is at that level and just mm-hmm. being able to work with kids that never really been coached before and teach them how to do things the right way and bringing something out of them that they never would have gotten out of themselves if it wasn't for someone like me really pushing them to get it out of them. Mm. So... Got a couple of private sessions tonight from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Going to come home, watch the Knicks-Nets game. No Kyrie Irving. I mean, still the Knicks and the Nets, man. So anytime you got basketball on, I'm a basketball junkie. I'm going to watch it as much as I can. But I love college basketball. So today, that's just a regular day for me. I never thought I'd be spending so much time a holy child. But here we are. And it's been a blessing to be able to have a facility where we're able to work with all these kids and keep me busy, keep the kids busy and all that good stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, so the key word for me is pivot. And that's not something that you would have envisioned a year ago because at that particular point, you were completely ensconced in your season. You were trying to figure out yeah, matchups. January 13th, we're yeah. in a heart of conference play right now. Mm. Once I got the job at Tech, I didn't do a training session all last year. But yeah, we would be in conference play right now. And I put everything into the job at Tech. And I was like, look, like I'm not going to have any distractions January 13th, we would have been right in the heart of our conference season. And at this time, you got two games a week against teams that you're familiar with, but everyone knows everyone. And some of the scouting and recruiting and things that go into it, it's mentally exhausting. Mm. It's like I was so lost in that job where it became my life as opposed to not like not having a social life. Like especially at this time of the year, that's your life. Like you don't have a life. Your life is what are we going to do to get better than we were yesterday? What are we going to do to improve in our team in the future? What are we going to do to put ourselves in a position to eventually win a conference championship? Mm. And talking about pivoting, pivoting, it's been good this year, working with so many kids and being able to watch a lot more basketball at every level, at all the Division One games going on, being able to watch virtual clinics on coaches and learn a lot more about myself and about what I kind of want to do next. But back to what you were saying, like the day-to-day grind, just being able to work with all these kids, being in the gym with them. And we've talked about this, coaching is coaching. And I'm able to experiment with a lot of the kids that I have and say, okay, like, is this something that I like to do? Is this something I don't like to do? Because mm. I do a lot of the workouts that I do with my college guys. A lot of college guys call me right now to work them out. Overseas guys, I can't get a job right now. They call me to work out. And 
being able to focus on being a trainer and also being able to be a coach. It's been fun, man. It's been rewarding. Yeah, I'll say that just listening to your story, even though you're not doing exactly what you really want to do, you're still redistributing your time in the game of basketball. And I think about myself, it was a year ago, I'd be probably doing a Catholic League game. I'd probably be doing a college game or something like that. But, you know, now I think about, and and this was an interesting thing that I thought of for myself yesterday, you know, me just doing the in and outs of coaching at Kellenberg from August to November. um, I think about those beats of just trying to develop these young ladies and just to get them to be their best version of themselves on the volleyball court. But what's interesting is that now that I'm not near Kellenberg, I've been hanging out with all these St. Anthony's kids at Mike Kaplan. <laughs> and, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, oh, I need these. St. Anthony's, get out of here, right? That's how I felt about St. Francis Prep all those years exactly. of Holy Cross. So they're the enemy. And then, you know, I think about all these Division One athletes that I've been having the pleasure to do videos for and do highlight tapes. And, and now to the point where I'm working out with them. It's interesting because I think of it as now this is like my opportunity to see, you know, all these kids that I have at Kellenberg when they end up becoming at the collegiate level. Now I'm seeing what the next step is of what they're doing at the collegiate level, because all of these kids are like graduated and they're out of St. Anthony's and now they're just, and now you, you know, actually get to know them. Yeah. 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 See what they're about. And you don't label them as oh, you're a St. Anthony's guy. See, and it's not even that. It's just, see, I, I now I see the, the habits of like a division one soccer player, right. Or a division one lacrosse player. And it's like very weird to see it because I'm always used to just, I cut it off at the high school level. And then I'm back at the high school level because I just keep developing them. I don't see what they're doing because I'm just not part of a college staff of, of seeing what they do in and out. And it's, it's very, very like, it's just an eerie thing, but it's, it's, an it's eerie thing. But now when you're able to go back to Cullenberg and work with those girls, think about how much of a wider diverse plan you could have and things that you could work with them with and things that you could put them through. It's just, you're always learning no matter what you're always learning. Yeah. You're always improvising, always getting better. So when we talked last time, you know, I, I was kind of sad that I had to truncate the episode because it was like you and Jesse and it was more like about level up. Um, but th- I told you at that time, I wanted you to have the opportunity. And you know, I'm just interested to hear your whole story because when I latched on to you, when we finally crossed paths, it wasn't because of, you know, your exploits on the college basketball, you being an ex-pro or whatever. It was just you <laughs> humbly giving me the business on a, in a third grade game. So I was like, yo, what's up with this dude? So I think somebody told me, and I just kind of remember bits and pieces, like, yeah, he used to play in this. You're like, where? Like, I want to know, like, what's up with this dude? So, you know, obviously we both have a passion for the game of basketball. I want to have the opportunity for you to just kind of tell your origin story of, of where you were, you know, where'd you grow up? What'd you play growing up? What'd you play in middle school, high school, and then obviously in college? Now, all that and that, how we met, that's just something that we got to talk about a little later down the line. I know that we talked about it in the episode with Jesse with the Level Up podcast, but I built a lot of respect from you without, I didn't know what referee rant was. I didn't know what you were. Mm-hmm. And you taught me a lot of lessons that helped me progress in doing my job at tech that I needed to go through before having that opportunity. But going back to the question that you just asked, I grew up in Bayside, Queens and fell in love with basketball at a really early age. I remember, I don't remember. My mom remembers that one day when I was three years old, she took me to a park and there was a big playground and, all I wanted to do was take one of the basketballs at the park where all these older guys were playing growing up. And all I want to do is just throw the basketball up in the air and just try and get it through the hoop. And at that point, I'm three years old. I can't reach a 10-foot hoop. Some of these kids can now. It's ridiculous how some of these kids could develop and everything like that. But from there, my mom didn't know anything about basketball. 
My dad's a baseball guy. So it wasn't like anything was coming from a family. I was an only child. But all I wanted to do after that day was watch basketball, buy basketball jerseys. So, yeah, after when I was three years old and my mom realized how much I loved basketball before I even really knew anything about it, she took it personal. Like, I don't know anything about basketball. My mom used to work for NFL Films, so she knew a lot more about football than basketball. But she dedicated a lot of my childhood as well, learning basketball with me. We kind of learned the game of basketball together. We would watch games, and this is when you have, like, the VCR and She'd videotape games, like every All-Star game that we had from, that's been happened from when I was like five years old until high school. She VCR'd every one that we watched together. And I definitely never get to where I am in terms of basketball if it wasn't for her. She's been like that one person that really kept me driven was like, look, like all I, I know about how to have a work ethic. I don't know anything about basketball right now, but I know that if this is something that you really want to do, I'm going to help you get to where you want to get to and we're going to learn and go through this thing together mm. so she really knew how to communicate with people she learned the business of the AAU scene and the ins and out of it when we were younger and just put me around the right people growing up I'm not surprised that you're saying that because I'm an only child as well so I didn't even know that okay we're <laughs> rare breeds yeah yeah absolutely the fact that you were saying that your your dad was into baseball I thought about that as an only child right so like if you oh, have we a glove, baseball and it just, I'm just saying if, if it just didn't work, <laughs> it, it just doesn't work as an only child. You know what I'm saying? You have to like contact people to, to, and then when, when you think about football, it's the same thing. You need people, but basketball, the ball comes back up. The ball comes back. You up. can go by yeah. yourself. You can go two That's on two, three thing. on three. You can go you, by yourself. You can't do that in any other sport. And one of the best parts about me being an only child that I'm sure you can relate to as well. And also being an athlete is that it forced me to learn how to make friends in my own fast, especially through sports. Like if I didn't have sports and if I wasn't good at sports, kids wouldn't want to hang out with me. Kids mm. wouldn't want to invite me to their house or invite me to play games with them or anything like that. And that part of it was I had to learn it on the fly. I didn't like being alone. Even though I was an only child, I liked video games, but I didn't want to sit at home and play video games all day like what a lot of these kids do right. now. Like, I wanted to go to the park, make new friends, and it taught me how to communicate with people, and especially being from Queens, a whole different, diverse group of people. Like, I don't care, black, Asian, Hispanic, you name it. Like, it didn't, race wasn't anything to me. And that really helped shape who I am now because I could relate to any type of people because of the experience that I had growing up playing sports, mainly basketball. So fast forward a little bit. It's all I wanted to do. My mom sent me to a sleepaway camp, Camp Wayne, which was in Pennsylvania, where Jesse Winter is actually the basketball director of now, and it's like a sports camp. And I loved the camp. I had a great time there, but I don't want to do anything but play basketball. When I was growing up in elementary school, I didn't hang out with any of the kids my age that did whatever kids do when they're third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. I'm hanging out with the sixth graders and the seventh graders because I'm at their level of a skill set or in a physicality standpoint in basketball. And that's what got me to get better, playing against older people, playing at the park. I didn't have a trainer growing up. We talked about it before the podcast, like what, what Rizzo and Skiffle are doing right now. That's cool that what they have in Bayside, there was none of that growing up in Bayside growing up. So if I wanted to go somewhere, I'm, I'm, my mom's taking me to different parks and she's my trainer. She's putting me through workouts from things that maybe Dwayne Wade did in the game or Mono Ginobili did in the game, two of my favorite players growing up, and I'm trying to learn that in the park, and then I'm trying that against seventh, eighth graders when I'm only a fourth or fifth grader. So it just made me tougher. Mm. I was never the most skilled kid. Even now, I'm not the most skilled player. When I was a pro, when I was playing Quinnipiac, 
I made my money and I earned my scholarship and I earned my minutes because I was just going to outwork you and I was just tougher than you. That was just a mindset that I had. Like, I don't care what anyone else says. Like, this is what I am. This is what I believe in. And this is how I'm going to go about it. And my mom installed that mindset in me. And from there, that's the mindset that I had every time I stepped on the court, no matter what it was. Mm. So fast forward to middle school. Now I'm playing more in the AAU scene. I get involved with Rising Stars and Danny Gimple is someone that I've been had a relationship with a very long time. Play with them from fifth grade all the way until I finished in high school. And we had the same team from the fifth grade, at least a quarter team, up until we were in 11th grade. That might not ever happen again in Long Island because of how many teams and how different things are right now. Me, this guy Mike Florin, who played at Lou High, Tommy Butsaris, who played at Holy Trinity, Chris Dogo, who played at Malloy, Kyle Kuby, who's from Babylon. So that was like the main, f- and Anthony Moultrie from Malvern, all guys that you might not know who they are in the basketball scene, but we're over there, we're winning the regionals Island Guard, and we're beating the Gauchos or New Heights or Lightning Dingle. And it's like, how are these kids beating all of them? And it's because we had a chemistry that we just knew how to play with each other. And now we go fast forward to high school. We still have the same core of the team, but now we're recruiting Division One guys to run with us. We're going down to the Nationals. We finished eighth in the Nationals, and it's like we did that because we just had a chemistry to each other that other teams just didn't have. So really just who I surrounded myself with and the work ethic and the mentality that I had, that's what really got me to where to the point where I had all the ultimate amount of confidence in myself. Mm. And that's how I ended up at Holy Cross. I went to IS-25 public school and middle school and – Again, I had my friends that were, some of them were bad influences. It wasn't flushing, like some guys that I enjoyed being around, but I knew like, all right, like I can't surround myself with these people once I get to high school if I have the dream of eventually wanting to be a college basketball player, a division one college basketball player. And I had that mindset since I was in middle school. The first time I watched March Madness, ironic enough, I knew I wanted to play at a mid-major school when George Mason played UConn that year when George Mason went to the final four. Oh, six, right? Oh, six. Yeah. I was in the eighth grade, either seventh or eighth grade. And Tom Moore, who ended up being my college coach at Quinnipiac, was an assistant on a UConn staff. And George Mason was my first ever phone call my sophomore year in high school. So it's funny how some of that played out. But that was really when I had the moment where I was like, I'm all in with this basketball stuff. I have a dream that I want to be, a, I want to play in March Madness one day. Hmm. And I knew that I didn't. I was a 6'3 Jewish white kid. Like, I don't just stand out at you. Like, I'm not going to get recruited on my potential and my athletic ability. So that's just a little bit about my childhood and my background. And I get to Holy Cross when I'm a freshman there. Sylvan Landisberg's there. Blaze French is there. They're all seniors. And they got five guys that are seniors that are all scholarship players that started. They're top 15 in the country. And I'm playing an open gym with them. And thinking oblivious because I'm like, you know what, I'm just as good as some of these guys. Like, I'm going at them and getting after it with them. And and it was fun, man. But to see what it takes at that level to be successful in high school, being around a top 15 team, even though I played on the freshman team, to see all that, it was like, I want to be a part of something like yeah, that. Yeah, I yeah. want to be a senior, and I want to have a press conference, and I want to tell people where I'm going to play, play in college. And Going to Holy Cross instead of going to a public school in high school for me at that time was definitely the best thing that I could have done in terms of my career. Yeah, that, that's a great decision. I'll just talk about just playing um, in the Catholic League in Long Island. Obviously, I went to Kellenberg. Um, freshman year is so interesting, right? Because um, it's a different energy. And I feel like JV is kind of like purgatory, right? Because freshman is like, this is the first time you're in the school. You feel new. 
and you see what, what it can be in the varsity level. And when you see that, you feel it can either like motivate you or, or get you real scared. Now, I'll just talk about for me, my freshman year, I think like 200 kids tried out. And I remember it was like, all right, dribble left-handed. There's like 100 <laughs> people that got cut. All right, do a left-handed layup. All right, there's 30 other people get cut. And then it gets into the meat and potatoes. Now, the Catholic League, I remember, at least in Long Island, I remember when we were at JV, we ended up going to Brooklyn and played Bishop Lachlan. And I felt like they were aliens compared to us. Because no disrespect you to the Catholic League. Bishop Lachlan, right? Then you had to stir girls that were stomping on yep. the floor. Yep. It's in like the fifth floor. We lost by 80 points. Oh my God. And That's I remember that was a, place it was the first game of the season and we're like, yeah, we're going to go 27 and 0. And we're like, yeah, we're not that. And I remember I was like, yo, why is the varsity team on? And they were like, no, that's JV. And I was like, no. <laughs> We got. We couldn't even pass uh, three Lions quarter court. Varsity team on that's yeah. Yeah, we couldn't Bishop even pass Lachlan's that court. In a, that's an intimidating place to play, man. Talk about uh, just playing in the double A. Well, first I want to get into your freshman year of okay. what it was like, and then you know ultimately going to to uh, the varsity level, and then just talking about you know the double A Brooklyn Queens in the city. Yeah, luck again. A lot of it again. Credit to my mom for being aware of the of what's really going on. She knew that at Holy Cross, they had five guys that were all scholarship players that were seniors. And I had this great opportunity to go in as a sophomore and start and get major minutes right away mm. in my freshman year. The freshman coach at Holy Cross was Kevin Hamilton, who I ended up working for at New York Tech. Kevin Hamilton, one of my mentors, someone that I'm still obviously close with. But to be able to be in an environment where the varsity team is top 15 in the country, but Kevin Hamilton is a Hall of Fame basketball player at Iona College, got drafted by the Boston Celtics, one of the just greatest basketball minds that you'll meet. And to be able to have the opportunity to play a whole season for him when I'm 14 years old and him talking to us about his experiences and making us go through things in practice that no 14-year-old really is ready for, it's it, ha- it makes you mentally tough. Like, if you can't, handle this there's no way you're going to handle what the varsity is going to expect you to do and we had a talented team we had marcus hopper who ended up going to siena he was like my right hand man all throughout high school we had devin kajus who was a superstar at stanford and had his own basically feature when he was on hard knocks i'm sure you know who kevin kajus is at yeah. high school so it was the three of us in the same freshman team with some other guys that we had that were good as well. So we were really good. But my first game was an IABO tournament. Is that still a thing anymore? I think so, yeah. As a freshman, Mm -hmm. that was such a great tournament to play in your first ever freshman because it was like, all right, who are these new kids that are coming up? It was at Malloy High School. Our first game was against Bishop Lachlan. And we lost the game, but I went, it was like, I was so in love with the atmosphere mm. and the hype. And this is before social media and all these other things. And Catholic League in the city. And, of course, PSAL, which are two different atmospheres. But you can't recreate that. No. You can't recreate the crowd. You can't recreate what you can what, what it just feels like. The atmosphere in a double-A is better than the majority of the games I played at Quinnipiac. Yeah. Especially if it wasn't a TV game, it's winter break. At Quinnipiac, it might be 1,000 people there. But this place, it's 5,000 people. CHSAA, if you're good, every game's packed. Every game's packed. So freshman year, to have the opportunity to learn from someone like Kevin Hamilton and watch that team at Holy Cross win the AA championship when that 08 season was the best the Catholic League's probably been in at least this decade. Yeah. Not, not decade. I mean, since, I don't know. It's been had, a while. Every 
Rice had Kemba Walker and all right. of them. It was there was nine teams in a double A at that time. Seven of them at one point was nationally ranked. Mm. Like I don't think that's ever going to happen again. Yeah, it was crazy. So then going into that off season, I knew that I was going to be called up to the varsity, and I was like, all right, like we're going to be at the bottom of the league, but I'm going to have this amazing opportunity to really go showcase myself, and I got to be ready. So I just lived at Holy Cross, man. Played in the circuit with Rising Stars that freshman year, and. Whenever I wasn't playing in a circuit, we were in the gym all summer with Coach Lloyd and Gilvary was overseeing everything. And this is when Holy Cross is really good. I hope that they can get to that point where they're relevant in the Catholic League again. But they had expectations there where they're trying to win championships. And Paul Gilvary, going into my sophomore year, knowing I was going to be called up, he made it way harder on me than even I could have predicted at first. Those first couple of practices were brutal. I thought I was ready. Mm-mm. <laughs> he he knew that we had a lot of work to do and he tested us mentally and physically and he's an old school kind of coach he's a guy that no bs kind of guy like he doesn't care that you have all these accolades and these hype like he just coached mcdonald's all american he doesn't give a crap who evan conti is he mm. cared about me he watched me play he watched me develop he, he knew i was a tough kid but i didn't have that mindset with him i just wanted opportunity to be able to showcase myself and do anything I can to help guys win and I think that's so important for an underclassman that's really talented but moving up to the varsity level it's not about you when you're a sophomore yes it's your team when you're a senior but when you're a freshman sophomore it's not about you it's about the upperclassmen what could you do to help these guys win and that's when when I was finally able to understand that and grasp the concept of that and that's something that Govary was really big on especially from underclassmen that's when he really started to trust me because as a coach, now I see it in a different way, in a different lens. It's like, you're going to play the guys that you trust mm. down the line when you're trying to win basketball games. But when you're an underclassman, yes, you might be really good, but what could you do to make the upperclassmen want to play with you? And that's the biggest difference that I've noticed a lot of underclassmen do now, which is why there's so many kids that transfer. Because they think, oh, I have all this hype on Instagram. This guy ranked me top 10. This guy ranked me top 5. Who cares? Your coach don't care. The college coaches recruiting you, they don't care about most of those rankings. How could you help this team win? And when I really learned that, and that's one of the biggest things I'll give Gavari credit for me for, he taught me how to be a really good teammate, and he taught me how to buy into a culture. He had a culture, and if you couldn't buy into that, there was no place for you with those Holy Cross teams at that time, especially when he was such a tough, hard-nosed coach to play for. Mm. So sophomore year, we struggled, but I individually... Had a really good season. We went through our bumps. We had a couple of upsets wins. I remember we really started playing well down the stretch. We beat Russ Smith on a senior night at Malloy. And this is before he had all the hype of going to Louisville and everything like that. Was I he really had, that fast? At that time, yeah. <laughs> but after he, used to be he a went blur. to South Kent, it just became a whole nother level. Right. Him and Maurice Harkless, that's when I really learned how different prep school was. And I'll get to Maurice Harkless and some of these other guys with prep school a little bit later. But, yeah, he was unbelievable. And that sophomore year, just playing Christ the King and Bishop Lachlan with Javon Pinkston there and Rice and all these schools, now it was like, all right, I started in that league. I have this experience, but now I want to get to the next point in my development where I don't want to just be there anymore. I want to be an all-league player and I want to win. Mm. So how do you transition that? So I have this year under my belt, and then I meet this guy, Brian Shifty, and I got invited to play in the World Maccabee Games. And for those that are not familiar with it, the World Maccabee Games is either the second or third largest sporting event in the world after the Olympics. And it was the 12 best Jewish-American basketball players at that time 
I was playing in a 16-under league. The, all the hype was about this kid, Michael Avery, who committed to Kentucky as an eighth grader who was at Mott Academy at the time. Freak athlete. He broke his hand right before the game started in a training camp practice because he got upset at a drill, punched a wall, <laughs> broke his hand, and then that was it. And to be able to play against those guys all summer, two-a-days, and my first time in Israel, and it was just the most fun and the best experience I've ever had playing basketball mm. one we went 9 and 0 we won the gold medal and i ended up being the mvp of that event wow which was a huge deal at the time and that's what really got me on the map with a lot of these college coaches bruce pearl was the coach of the open team at the time so he was there seeing all these games and seeing us develop and it was great that he was there to tell other coaches yo this kid this kid could play like he's really good and that experience i wouldn't have been able to have the success i had in the maccabee games if it wasn't for all the opportunities I had at Holy Cross and that sophomore year in the CHSA and then we went to the Nat I, f- I flew straight from Israel to the Nationals for the 16 unders that year and we ended up making it to the final eight which at that time there was no EYBL there was no like UAA or Adidas gauntlet it was either you're going to the Nationals in Orlando or you're going to Las Vegas and you're playing in the Fab 48 or whatever those things were and again we had no business winning a lot of the games that we did but at that point, you're playing together for five years when most of these teams are getting put together two weeks before they're going away to a tournament. Right. So that goes a long way. We have all this success. I have all this momentum. And then now we have my junior year. End up being an all-league player. We have a lot more success. And from there, yeah, it's, it was a fun ride before even getting to the senior year. But, yeah, Holy Cross helped me a lot, man. I just I just like how the Catholic League experience and then going to Israel, <laughs> it's like a, a crazy juxtaposition that you had. Um, you know, I just talk about the pleasure that I have, you know, refing those double A games. You talk about that atmosphere just in terms of a referee. It's amazing. What's your favorite uh, favorite gym? What's your favorite atmosphere? <sighs> I like St. I, I like St. Ray's. I like um, St. Ray's is awesome. man. I like Stepanak too. Stepanak, I never got to play because they were still in a single. Right, a. right, right, right. And we it's always it's a little Cardinal Hayes, but they were in a single A too. Cardinal Hayes is it, it's different. like a weird, scary gym too. Um, I'm trying to think mm-hmm. who else. I do like prep though. You ever, cross- prep, you ever did a prep cross game? I have not. No. When you do that, <laughs> that changes everything. I'll let There's you know. No hopefully, better rivalry in the city than cross prep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just. Especially when Holy Cross was an all-guys school. Yeah. You get the mimo of, yeah, us guys at Cross, we're taking all the prep girls. I think that's changed everything, too, though, now that they're a co-ed school. <laughs> yeah, it's different now, It's definitely man. much it's different. different era, but it meant something. Like, it didn't matter how good Holy Cross or how bad prep was at that time. Now prep is doing really well. They just won the Brooklyn Division right, right. two years ago, and Jimmy Lynch has done a phenomenal job there. But it didn't matter. When Cross played prep, none of, it, none of that other stuff mattered. It was, it was just for pride. Like, right. And what's crazy about those rivalries is most of my friends played at prep. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys at prep were guys that I'm hanging out with. That always happens. <laughs> that always happens. But their fans hated me. Oh, yeah, I'm I was sure. such a target to them. Like, Did they have some some cool chance for you? Oh, my God. It was bad, man. <laughs> it was bad. There was one year they threw quarters at me in the middle of a game. Nice. Because I was Jewish. And that's when I was like, <laughs> like talking about Skippo. His brother almost started a brawl because of that. Because he was one of my best friends in high school, Jordan Skippo, Anthony's little brother. But those games, those those are memories you can't take back. Man. Yeah. Playing in a sold-out atmosphere in high school. And even for the guys that don't get the opportunity to play the next level. Like, there's no better atmosphere I played in 
Then across prep. Yeah, listen, they always say that, and that's why the Catholic League, in terms of referees, just like um, for you guys, it's a feeder for the collegiate system because if you can handle those games. Yeah, how do you handle that as a ref when you got all these annoying, obnoxious 16-year-old fans just going crazy? So I think I think when— I don't even know basketball. Now, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but like when you when you ref in the Catholic League, you can't. they don't just get any ref. You have to try out. Oh, I know this. And you have to go to freshmen, yep. right? So, and then the coach could veto you to not come back. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that first you have to be ready to do freshman games. Right. So then you graduate and then, you know, eventually what normally happens is that once they find out then you're in the Catholic League, then they go, OK, you're ready for college. So it's kind of like it, it's it, it kind of works out because you end up by the time you're doing a double A game, like you're already ready for it because you're already working with college guys. And, and it's about easy. That, I love the analogy you talked about refing when you were saying about the difference refing R.J. Davis as opposed to some ninth man coming off the bench at, uh, let's say, uh, Mount St. Michael's where. You might not call a travel for RJ Davis, but you yeah, we yeah we talked about that, and and you know just to just to refresh everyone, it's um, you know you think about somebody, <clears throat> if you're thinking about, <clears throat> if you're Got thinking of, right there, <laughs> if you're thinking about RJ Davis, uh, you know, and I've had this conversation with him. He's got the yo-yo. I'm not. I'm not going to penalize him because he's so fun to watch this year. He's so great, and, and you know, it's so weird. It's like, first of all, congratulations to him to all his success at at UNC. He's well deserved. He's a hardworking kid, but um, and you could tell he had the motor when he was in in high school. But he he reminds me of that um that kid on on Alabama, the wide receiver. The uh, just won a national championship. No, he he don't look like he's fast, but he's just blazing fast. And he it's weird to not look fast but be faster than everyone else. That probably is a prevalent theme in the Catholic League, right? No, I mean, it's like you look at me and a lot of these coaches, I remember they did a feature on me on a daily news where all these coaches are talking about, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the most athletic, I'm not the strongest, and you're like, yeah, I'm not I the am. best shooter, I'm not the best defender, but for whatever reason, I'm one of the top three players in the league. And you love that, right? And my mom hated that stuff. She hated <laughs> when coaches would always say, he thinks he's so much better than he is. Because my mom, you know, she's going to support me. And she's like, yeah, because he is that good. And he is mm. that much better than you. But I took it personal. I was like, this kid's like talking about that and transitioning into senior year. Senior year was a hard year for me because I had all this success individually. But I wasn't getting the offers that a lot of these kids were getting. And I took that personal. I took it really personal because I'm seeing this kid commits to this mid-major. And this kid was only a third team all league player commits to that school. That's not to say you weren't getting division one offers, right? I didn't get, I didn't really get a division. I got a division one offer in in high, after my junior year before I broke my ankle at the spring fling tournament in April. So I actually missed after my junior year. That's when I really started having a lot of adversity because I was getting recruited by a lot of mid-major schools, A-10 schools, MAC schools, Patriot League schools. But I also didn't have, I also wasn't the smartest kid. I didn't have the best SAT scores. So once I didn't have over an 1,100 in the SAT, a lot of those Patriot League schools went away because I just academically couldn't get in. And that would have been a perfect league for me to play in, just mm. that that whole conference recruited me. A lot of Ivy League schools recruited me, but academically I just wasn't at that level. And going from there, getting hurt and then coming back and rushing through my rehab and playing in July, I really didn't play the best that July summer circuit. And that set me back for a while. And I had to really go into my whole senior year. All these NE10 schools, the Division II schools are recruiting me like you couldn't believe, but 
I had a mindset where I knew where I belonged and I knew that this is what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to be satisfied going in any other direction, which also helped me have the senior year that I had. I don't think I have that good of a senior year if I didn't have that chip on my shoulder and I wasn't already, like, I didn't already have that scholarship that I wanted. I wasn't already committed. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a tough year, but it made me, it tested me mentally. Mm. And if I didn't go through the experience that I had my sophomore and junior year with Govary really getting me ready to have all those burdens and responsibilities at a senior year, then I don't know how that would have went. Because the media, when they would talk to me after the games, it wasn't about winning or losing at Holy Cross. It was like, why aren't you committed? Why don't you have these offers that this guy has or that guy has? And Govary would have to remind me and keep me humble and test me and challenge me. But I ended up averaging like, 18 and 10 my senior year, first team all league. We lost to Christ the King in the Brooklyn Queens championship game. And this is how Quinnipiac gets re-involved with me. They started recruiting me when I was a sophomore. Ryan Giffen, who's a legend at St. Francis Preps from Bayside as well. So he told the coaching staff about me. They were recruiting me at an early age. But they only had two scholarships. And the two kids that they offered both accepted their scholarships over the summer of my junior year. And they called me, and they were one of the only schools that called me at that time and was like, look, like, these, we only had two scholarships. These two kids accepted it. We really are a fan of you. We love your game. We love you, just what you are. If something opens up, we want you. They even told other schools to go take a look at me. What other schools do that? There's no other coaching staffs that do that. They would keep in contact with me. Every time they were at an event, they would see me. They would talk to me. And when we played Christ the King in a championship game in the Brooklyn Queens, Christ the King's the one. I hate Christ the King, man. I love, I have all the respect in the world for them, but they're the only team in the league I never beat. I just hate how long the court is. The, the court oh feels so long. God, it is. It's way bigger than Holy Cross. It just feels so long. <laughs> I don't know why. Because it is. <laughs> it, it is. It just, it's, it's dark. Yeah. It's, it gets cold. It's just weird. There. It's a weird place. It's old atmosphere, but hey, they get it done, man. And it was Joe Abertello's, Coach Abertello's first season my senior year. Wow. So he was scared as heck to play us mm. because he, we never beat them. And we lost to them, I think, four damn times my senior year. Lost to them in overtime. Lost to them by any way you could find a way to lose, we found a way to lose. But Quinnipiac didn't offer me a scholarship after that game because of how well I played. Because I didn't play great that game. They offered me a scholarship because of what kind of teammate I was and how personal I took and how much I just wanted to win and how I competed my ass off. So Tommy Moore, who was my head coach at college, was at that game looking at a couple of different guys, but he had in the back of his mind that if something opens up, he wasn't going to give it to me. I wasn't sure that yet at the time. He told Govary all this, but after seeing how hard I played and how much I, it, I took it personal, even though we lost, he was like, this is a kid that I want in my locker room. This is a kid I want on my team. Mm. That's what a lot of kids don't realize that are trying to get scholarships at a Division One or Two level because these coaches look at how are you going to help my team win, not can you score 30 points because if you're a freshman and you're not as good as R.J. Davis or some of these guys, it ain't happening. So that that was good. And then we lost to Rice in the semis at St. John's, and I finished my high school career still not having that Division One scholarship that I wanted. Even though I accomplished pretty much everything besides winning a city championship, I did everything else. Mm. But fortunately for me, I stayed patient. I had the right people around me. Kept my options open. The University of Wyoming offered me out of nowhere when I got a new head coach. This guy, Larry Scheid, who saw me play on the circuit. 
was the assistant coach at Florida. As soon as he got the job, he called Gilvary. He knew him, Tom Kachowski, and some of these other guys, and flew me out to Wyoming that next that that same week. Tom Kachowski probably wrote your Wikipedia page. He probably started it. <laughs> Tom Kachowski is just. Talk about a memory that that guy has. He's an encyclopedia. It yeah. doesn't make sense. I was scared because I asked him a question. Um, we, we were doing a project on Staten Island. He was like, well, funny you should say that, Ralph, in 1953. And when it was the advent of, I was like, all right. <laughs> this Yo, guy knew it too much. Everything. He does. I ran into him about two years ago. He remembered your stats? He didn't just remember my stats. He was like, how's Coach Gilvary doing? And I was like, I haven't talked to him in a little bit. I got to call him. He straight up sent me his number. <laughs> didn't have his cell phone. He told me Paul Gilvary's cell phone number. Yeah, I'm sure. And knew it in his head. Yeah. He has to be the smartest man of all time. Yeah, he, he was one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts. So I remember you mentioned off here that um, once Wyoming and you visited there, it kind of opened up the floodgates to get other opportunities. Just talk about that and what ultimately led you to become a Bobcat yeah, once what's crazy about recruiting is nobody really thinks you're good enough until one person thinks you're good enough. Mm. And even like I was talking to you about how senior year was tough and even though I was having a phenomenal year, we were winning, we were at the top of the league the whole year and for whatever reason I just wasn't getting the offers that I know that I deserved. We lost to Rice High School at St. John's, packed, great atmosphere as you know. Last one that Rice High School has ever had, by the way. Rice High School yeah. beat us. They lost to King in the finals, and then they folded right right after that, which is just a shame because they were as special of a CHSA team that it can come. But I remember that next day, that's when reality hit, and I was like, I still don't know where I'm going to school. And I just broke down in the middle of school. I didn't know what to do. And fortunately, I had a deal with Paul Govary, my coach of high school, where if I still don't have the Division One offer that I want by the time I go to the final, by the time it's the final four, I'm listening to him and I'm taking a division to offer that key things that would be best for, for my career. So final four happens, before, still don't have the offer that I want. And he makes me go to his office one day after school and the college of St. Rose was there. Coach Gavari makes me go to his office after school and it's the coaching staff at St. Rose, a really good division two school up in Albany. And I had a great conversation with him. It was the first time I ever even considered playing Division Two and going the Division Two route at that time. And they scheduled for me to go on an official visit the next week. And a couple of guys from Christ the King were on that team, Dominique Milka and Kareem Thomas and some of those guys. And I had the time of my life up there. It was from a Thursday through Saturday. One of my AAU teammates, Chris Dogler, actually came on to visit with me since he was already committed there. He was at, uh, he was at Malloy at the time. And I told him I'm going to give him an answer on Monday. And, and you were embracing the division two. You were like, oh, yeah, no, I was like, you know what? Like, if this is what it is, I'm going to go there and I'm the best career I could possibly have. And it was because I finally opened up to it. And Brian Bury is a Hall of Fame coach at that level. Like, he won, I don't even know how many games he won there. But long story short, I told him I'll give him until Monday night. And I was going to call him Monday night with a decision because college coaches, they don't want you to waste their time. Right. Best answer is yes. Second best answer is no. So they can move on to the next guy. And I told my mom Sunday, I was like, I think I'm going to go. And she was all for it. Monday morning, my AAU coach and Paul Gilvary tell me that Wyoming, this guy just got the job and they want to offer you a scholarship. They just, just like that. They never saw me play at Holy Cross. The guy just got the job, Larry Scheid. He saw me play some AAU event and knew my reputation, knew what I was about. 
do what I did in the Maccabee games. And he called me that Monday while I was in school and offered me a scholarship and had a plane ticket out there for me that Thursday. That was one of the hardest calls that I had telling Coach Murray, like, look, like, there's nothing else you guys could have done. I was going to come, but I just got this offer. And what I respected most about Coach Bury is that he was like, if I was your, if I was your father, I would make you do the same thing. And he was talking to me not just as a coach, but as someone that was looking out for my best interest. So then, once it got out there on Twitter that Wyoming offered me, then all these schools in the Northeast that were hesitant to offer me, now they all want to offer me all at once. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> But Quinnipiac was one of those schools that they recruited me the whole time. And they told me that if something opens up, they, they're they going to bring me. Something opened up? Something opened up, of course. Just ironically, right? Something yeah. opened up. But I agreed that I was going to go to Wyoming. And then the following week, I was going to go on my official visit to Quinnipiac. And then I was going to make a decision. So to go on three official college visits in three weeks was three of the most fun weeks I've ever had in my life. Yeah. A high school kid being able to party with all the college guys. Yeah, you didn't even know where Wyoming was <laughs> on the map, I'm sure. No, the, <laughs> the airport was about the size of this living room. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> the airport it. was about the size of this living room, but we had a really good time. But when I was at Quinnipiac, I just knew that it was the right fit. It was an hour and a half away from my house in Queens. It meant a lot for me to be somewhat close to home, not too far away where my mom and dad can come and see me play. And they were in the NEC at the time. They just they lost in the conference championship to Robert Morris two years in a row, and I just felt like this is the best chance I'm going to have to make it to multiple NCAA tournaments to a mid-major program that fit everything that I was looking for. And, yeah, I mean, I had a great time there. It was a great experience. I went there, and that doesn't happen if my mom didn't put me through everything I went through when I was younger, the experiences I had in the AAU scene and everything that I went through at Holy Cross and to have an opportunity to play in the Catholic League, the best high school league in the country that's not a prep school. It, it was a fun time, man. It was just a really good time in my life. And at that point, it just – the reason why I think I had some success individually at Quinnipiac is because I felt that was exactly where I belonged. There was guys that I played with that felt like they should have been at a higher level. There's guys that I played with that were just so damn talented but didn't really embrace what it was like to be a Division One player. But for me, it was like – I went through so much just to get there. And that's what Coach Moore always talks to me about when I catch up with him or when he talks to other people about it. It's like some people went through so much stuff in life when in terms of like living in the projects or going through so many family things just to get the opportunity to be at that next level and get a college scholarship. But for me, it was like everyone and their mother just was like, I'm not good enough for whatever reason. But he gave me a chance and I ran with it. That's such great advice. I think about just the time of just being an official, like even in the beginning where it's it's a weird game because sometimes the older looking refs are the newer refs. And then people yeah. that look like me are more of the veteran refs because, you know, sometimes they find that out about sense. it later in life. And then or once they, they retire, they want to do that. And it gives them for whatever reason, yep. for whatever reason. But, you know, I always say sometimes people are so far looking ahead of going like, OK, I just did a freshman game cross versus prep. Man, I want to do those varsity games. I'm like, I understand. You got to pay your dues, man. Well, that's not even that. <laughs> Just enjoy where you're at. Be as good as you can be where you're at. And then, then you'll, then you can worry about, see, and that's what I'm saying. It's like one of those things where everyone's like so worried about like getting further as opposed to just going and, and just, you know, just being and embracing. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's like such a great thing. Um, you know, moving on towards the end of it. And, and you had a lot of success at Quinnipiac. Um, just talk about, what it took to, to get to that pro level. Now, what were you thinking? Were you trying to get to the league? Were you trying to get to the G League? What were you trying to do? After that experience I had in the Maccabee games that I spoke to you about, I knew right away that 
that was my next goal when I was in middle school watching the March Madness and the NCAA tournament. I'm like, I want to be a mid-major college basketball player. And I did put everything I had in me to accomplish that. Now after playing in the World Maccabee games and seeing what it would be like to be a pro, that's where I wanted to go. I was like, I have, I'm able to get an Israeli citizenship because my mother's Jewish and I want to play my way into earning a professional contract. So everything, all the decisions that I made, the work ethic that I had, it was to eventually get that opportunity to get there. And I had that inspiration six years before it happened. And that's something that a lot of people don't really find too much in life. Yeah, and what's beautiful about basketball and about sports in general is that people search for that their whole lives. Like, what I'm, what am I working toward? And to be able to have basketball and know, like, that I wanted to play overseas and earn a professional contract and live that dream, it motivated me. And in life, you need something that can motivate you in the future. And that's the best gift that, one of the best gifts that basketball has given me. And I'm sure for you, with some of your experiences being an athlete and being around athletes and now having this podcast, it's what motivates you is what really wants, what is what really makes you want to put in the work. Because mm. the journey to get there is everything. Once you get there, it's, it's rewarding, but it's, you don't remember as much when you get there. You remember everything you sacrificed and what you went through to get there. So there was a level of comfortability of, of where you were being placed, um, you know, because you were you were just comfortable with the terrain. You've been there before. Um, now, I just want to just talk about that pro experience. How different was it from college and high school now that you're alone and, and you're doing it from my did it start feeling like it was a job that it was more taxing than it was before? But I went from being an only child to now living at Quinnipiac for four years. I'm living with some of my best friends and my teammates and I'm the man on campus and having a time of my life and that summer just still being around Quinnipiac, but also being home a lot and being around my friends that I haven't been able to see for that long because when you're a division one basketball player, it's a full-time job right. because you're living there all summer. And then just to move and have your own apartment and in a country that you, you've been before, but I played in a, I played for a Paul Beershev in my first year and it's a beautiful city in the south of Israel Basically, they compare it to like Phoenix, Arizona, somewhere I've never been before, but now I really want to go. It was, the weather's beautiful there all year, like for eight, nine months out of the year, you, it don't rain, it's like 100 degrees every day. Sounds like Arizona. It was beautiful, but man, was I alone, because mm. all I'm doing is I'm going to practice, I'm with my teammates, the American teammates and the Israeli teammates that I have, and before I made friends, all I'm doing is going back home, and I'm in an apartment by myself, like what do you do now? It's like a well, pandemic, right? I want to see. It felt like I was in quarantine for the first couple of months <laughs> of the year before I right. really made an emphasis to make friends outside of the club and outside of basketball. And I was lucky that I had a really good club that I played for my first year there. In terms of overseas basketball, Paul Beersheva, they're in the Winter League in Israel now. They're as professional of an organization that you could come by. The owner, the GM, the coaching staff, the management. And I was on a veteran team. I was like... They had a couple of younger guys that they needed by rules that were just on the team. They were also in the army. So it wasn't like I could hang out with them that much because they have to do their shift in the army and do whatever you got to do for them. But most of my team, they had, they had wives, they had kids. They, it's not like we're in the locker room and it's like, Oh, we just won this game on a Friday night. Let's go to the club and let's do that. Like, yeah, it's just different. It hit me, it hit me in a different way that you don't really think about, but once I got comfortable and made some friends in the city and went down to Tel Aviv, which is just, if you've never been to Tel Aviv, man, that's my favorite city ever. That's just, it's just a dream. It's a fairy tale land there. 
right on the beach and all the great things that you could do. But it took about a year for me to really find my comfort zone there in terms of socially. So you were like homesick kind of. I wouldn't say homesick. I was, you don't realize how much you miss just the American culture right. until you're there. Like yeah. on a Sunday night, you want to go watch, you want to hang out with your boys and watch football on a Sunday. Football don't start till eight o'clock. Right. You're seven hours ahead. You want to talk to your people at night. Everyone's sleeping. I want to call one of my friends or one of my girlfriends that are from the States or whatever. And I get home from a game and it's 10 o'clock at night. And it's like, no one that you're, you can't just call your boy and be like, yo, like, what do you want to do tonight? Yeah. Unless you call it like 4 a.m. Or like us just doing this podcast right. right now. Like we can't just link up and do things. So it forces you to step out of your comfort zone. It was also one of the best things that's ever happened to me because you get introduced to a new culture and you do things that you never thought you would have ever done in your wildest dreams. Like I live an hour from the Dead Sea. I can go to the Dead Sea anytime I want. I live right by the beach in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. I want to go to Jerusalem. I'm in one of the most historic places of all time. You could do all these things, but at first, I didn't have anyone to do anything with. Yeah. Well, you're an only child. You could have. Yeah. No, yeah. I did a lot of exploring by myself, man. I traveled Israel more than I probably ever traveled in New York, which mm. is a shame. No, but that's that's understandable because you're from here. So we kind of take things for granted. I know somebody just mentioned the Statue of Liberty. I was thinking about somebody asked me. Still never been. When was the last time I went? I was like, oh, I haven't been there since like third grade. You know, I went with my like. My, my family from the Philippines, they're like, oh, wow, I can't believe yeah. you live here. And I'm like... You wouldn't do things unless if you had someone from a different state or right. a different part of the world that right. see these things on TV. But I was that person in Israel where yeah. it's like, all right, I want to go do this. And some of my Israeli friends are like, that's boring. Like, come do this. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you know you knew all the, uh, the natives. Now, um, towards the end of it... Um, Obviously, you made a decision to to start doing coaching. And to me, it's like you preempted your career because at this moment in time, you're still in your 20s. You're probably still, if you train correctly and properly, you probably can still be effective on the basketball court if you really, really, really wanted to play pro. What went through that decision of just saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this and I'm going to just start going into coaching? Yeah, so talking about how great of a club Beersheva was and the experience that I had, I honestly shouldn't have even have been in that team my first year because it was a veteran team that was still in the second division, but they had the biggest budget. They did everything they can to try and move up to the first division. And even though I had a really good deal in place and I had a really good contract, it didn't give me an opportunity where I could really showcase myself. It was like me going to the Spurs when they're trying to three-peat. And I'm this young guy out of college that has this hype, but the team just didn't need me. They had other pieces. So that kind of set me back a little bit in my career in Israel, even though I wouldn't trade it for the world because at the end of the day, basketball and sports is all about the people that you make and the experiences that you have. That's something you don't realize until it's over. Right. While you're in it, you don't think about it. You just want to play and you yeah. want to win and mm -hmm. you want to be a competitor. And that was why my first year was hard. My second year, things went a little bit better for me individually, but toward the end of my third season, I was on my fifth coach and my fourth team. So... It just seemed volatile, right? Yeah, it's a lot. When I played for the same AAU team my whole life, I played for, I never transferred from high school. I never transferred from college. Like, I'm used to being loyal yeah. to a team. And, and you're, you're only playing, like, two months out of a time, like, yeah. thinking, like, I don't know where I'm going to be three months from now. And that's just those summers where you're dealing with contract negotiations. Like, you don't do two, three-year deals for the most part overseas because that's just not something you do. And it's kind of stressful. Like, one year I went to Israel late in November because... After my first year, 
I didn't agree to a contract, and then something was some, something went wrong, and I had to wait until November until I went back for my second year because somebody got hurt and then an opportunity was available. But I was on my fifth coach in third year, and at this time I met my girlfriend, who's now my fiance, and I was just thinking more long term. And as soon as I said to myself and went to the reality where I was like, all right, I think this is it. When I signed with Afula, I think it was in like the end of February, beginning of March. And it was the best I've ever played there. I was the sixth man in my team. We had an amazing team. We had Jeff Allen, Karanda Chills, Alex Rosenberg, like Daniel Kuffenberg, and just we were loaded. And it was the most fun I've had playing in Israel because I didn't put any more pressure on myself. Like I was like, all right, like this is it. I'm going to make the most of it. And I played so well toward the end of the year where the club wanted to sign me back. They offered me a deal to come back as long as the coach that was there took a contract to go back there for another year. But he decided that he was done coaching. So I didn't want to go to that club and play for a new team. And then I always wanted to be a coach. And I knew that if I wanted to go down the route of being a coach, I wanted to do that sooner than later. Kevin Hamilton was the head coach at New York Tech. And I was actually up at UConn visiting Coach Moore, who now is the one of the assistants at UConn after he left Quinnipiac. He's back at UConn where he started. And he was the one that first told me, you know, like if you have an opportunity to go to a Division II program, you should do that instead of being a director of ops or a grad assistant. Like go somewhere where you can really make your footprint on a program and really recruit and really – just learn the industry and learn the business. So Kevin Hamilton, like I mentioned, head coach at NYIT, was talking to someone from Israel, ironically, about a player there. And the guy was my player development coach that he was speaking to my first year. And he told him, we started talking about me, and it came up that I probably wasn't going to go back and I wanted to get into coaching. He called me right away and offered me a job on the spot and was like, if you really want to get into coaching, here you go. Like, I want you – I like." I want you to be a part of my staff and I want to be someone that could really help you and help you grow and shoot, you could really help us as well. And it just between that and now it's like, all right, you don't make that much money as an assistant coach in college. What else am I going to do? Because I need to make a living. Like I'm not going to give up a professional contract just to be a part-time assistant coach. And that's where Level Up and Jesse Winter and John Redazzo come in. First time I ever had a trainer was when I graduated Quinnipiac and started playing overseas. Never had a trainer in middle school. Never had a trainer in high school. In college, your coaches are your trainers, so it's a little bit different. But I knew that I needed a place to go and work out while I was playing overseas, and that's how I got connected with John Randazzo. And me and him hit it off from day one. He was one of one of my closest friends, best mentors. And when I had this conversation with John, at this point, him and Jesse are doing a lot of things with training together. And he told me, look, like if you're serious about this, we're going to help you get clients, and we're going to help you make some money while you're able to, when you have time, and make you do both. Holy Child, where they do everything out of five minutes away from New York Tech. And Jesse just built level up, and it wasn't even what it is now. And we talked about that on the other podcast, and they really convinced me that it was just the best move for me at that time to be able to learn how to coach at New York Tech and also work with younger kids and train them and make more money. At first, I wouldn't, I had no idea what kind of impact that level up was going to have for me and the experience that I had from it. It was just like, it was too good of an opportunity to turn down, to be able to coach college and still do all this and make money five minutes away. Yeah, that's great. Do it on my time schedule. I was like, yeah, like I just couldn't turn it down. And it was definitely the best decision that I made. Is that how you met Jesse? No, I met Jesse at. Busting his.
in Israel? <laughs> nah, he was he he played there when I was still in college. I met him before that actually worked in the Luhai summer best. Okay, games. okay. But he didn't look like a sailor yet, right? He he did when I first oh, met okay. him. He still he he still looked like when he I met him when he first graduated from college. Yeah, I remember meeting yeah. him at a Dudley game and he was yelling at me. I'm like, this this boy can right. play. You look like you an old spice he commercial. Hit, he didn't even hit puberty yet to look like when he graduated. Yeah, he could play though. He could play. Dude could play. And that's why Does I he still play now? He could still play. I know he can still play, but does he oh, play? No, a little bit. I okay, mean, so all you guys are just doing old man river it's, games. It's only so much you could do right now. Yeah, but now nah, don't get don't get it fooled, man. He might have that Division three label, but I've seen him bust a lot of Division one players nah, man. much before. Man. Listen, man, I gave I gave the Hofstra University basketball team the business when I was thirty. So I I believe it. Nobody man. can tell me nothing because especially when you're thirty, you know the game. You're going, oh, it's man. I mean you'll you'll see in three years how much you'll. You'll be uh, so much wiser. Um, so when, when I think about, you know, you were talking about John, you were talking about Paul, um, you were talking about Kevin, all these people that have helped you. If you can, I just want to give the other opportunity, of course, your parents too. Anybody else that you, I want to give the opportunity for you to just list any other mentors that you've had, what they've done for your career and how do you think they've shaped the way you've uh, helped people after you? Well, I can't talk about my journey if I didn't mention Danny Gimple at even though I don't work for Rising Stars, they were a big part of my childhood and what I've done growing up. I played for them since the fifth grade, so he's obviously a big part of what I became as well. But beside that, just all my teammates that I've had through the years, all my teammates that I had from every step of the way or parents that I associated with or people that just looked out for me and my best well-being. I was fortunate that I always was able to surround myself with just great people. When you're around great people that have the best interest for you, then... They're going to look out for you no matter what, whether you make it and you reach your dreams or you don't. And that part of it is, that's what's special about it. And that's how I ended up at Quinnipiac. And then all my, like, my roommate, he, I met him at Quinnipiac. He was one of my roommates. He don't play basketball, but he's one of my best friends. And mm. now I'm living with, with him. It's cool. Man. Is he from Long Island or no? Yeah, he's from Comac. Okay. He's from Comac, which is why we moved out here. But yeah, man, and I say all the time, the relationships that you make through basketball, through sports, or through podcasting that's that's really the most important thing mm. and anyone not anyone but people don't remember 10 years later oh who had 22 points against Siena in a road game in December they care about the things that happened in the locker room or nights that you had out or, well Tom Kinchowski would remember <laughs> that's for that's for damn sure yeah I mean no one could be an encyclopedia from him man but that's why that's why I really fell in love with coaching because of how much you can give back and I was surrounded by so much great people growing up that I have so much to offer to people that I coach now, which is why I knew as soon as I started coaching in college, it's like the connection that I made with those players so fast, just just being myself and the connection that I made with the kids that I work with and their parents. And I tell them all the time, like, if they learn all the lessons that I'm teaching them that have nothing to do with basketball, that's going to be way more important for them when they're done than just teach them how to shoot or teach them how to cut or at the college level, making reads or whatever the case may be, man. It's that's just what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm interested to see what your professional development is because you're so early in the game, you're so have such a head start and you've had such great opportunities already that, you know, I, I know for me, I started coaching when I was like nineteen. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to buy Jordans. Right, but when when you're able to teach yourself though, like it's well, it's good to make mistakes. Just yeah, like a younger yeah, player that's sure. talented that Needs to learn through his mistakes. He needs to turn the ball over a right. couple of times. So you like with refing, like yeah, it's just the repetition. It just right. turns into something different. Like I, I just think about the way I coach now. Is like before I used to be very animated, but now I'm just like, why? Why did you just do? Like I'll give you an example. So 
uh, two years ago when uh, I think we were, so you know how like it's rally scoring and the first team up to 25, you win yeah, one no. game and then and best of, a, is it best of three or best of five in high school? It's best of five in high school. Best so <laughs> we, uh, we end up two of my girls, they're, they're like best friends. And um, one of them just spiked it the crap out of the ball <laughs> and it was 4-0 and they started doing this crazy dance and it I'm like bro it's 4 dunking on somebody in a game though. it is but it's only 4-0 yep. in game one like what are we doing like we didn't win nothing so and it was weird you, because when you're 19 you're probably jumping up with them I'm thinking yeah I'm thinking 19 <laughs> like oh my god did you see that so it, it's interesting like how you evolve but you know after th- everything you said what do you think of the attributes what do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a basketball coach just being true to myself and staying humble if you can't get too high when things are going right, you can't get too low when things are going bad, you need to have the right support system and you just got to trust yourself. Mm. Like you're put through your experiences that you put through for a reason. And you're going to figure it out, whether it's for the better or for the worst. Mm. And always look at the bigger picture. If things aren't going right, like go back to the drawing board and figure it out. If things are going right, be happy with what you accomplished, but want more. Never be satisfied with where you are. Mm. So now I know that, you know, NYIT has closed because not because of your fault. It was because the whole program preempted. But, you know, now and and I asked you this question the last time we had a podcast, but I guess the the way I could frame this question is like, how do you go about looking for another opportunity during a pandemic? And yeah, even before I answer that question, it's so sad what happened. I don't think it's something I'll ever get over. I've never been so emotionally invested in something in my life. Like we talked earlier in the podcast that it became my life more than. I had a life and I was okay with it. I, when I got that job, I was looking at it as at least a 10 year plan. Regardless of what happened, I wanted to really build something there that the school could be proud of, the alumni could be proud of, the administration could be proud of. And more important than that, the people that played for me can come back and have a home, whether they're from New York or we had a kid graduate from Texas. We had a kid graduate this year from Lithuania. Like that's what it's about. And a lot of schools don't have that culture where they can go back and they could be proud of something and they could help the next class. And we had a really, we talked about this in another podcast. I talked about this in other podcasts before when I had the opportunity to be the head coach there. A big reason why I got that job is because the relationship would have had with the players that were there when Kevin Hamilton was unfortunately let go before the season ended. And just being the intern head coach there for three months where I'm doing everything on my own, man. I'm doing all this scheduling and recruiting and day-to-day activities and workouts, and that's a job for five people. Head coach is rough. And it's not like they gave me a salary increase when I was still the interim. I was still making basically no money and going to Holy Child in the middle of the afternoon after doing everything at Tech and then going back to Tech to do workouts at night and doing extra work with them. And it was – I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I That job gave me experiences and memories that are going to take me a lifetime. And – Making the playoffs this year was so special, not just because we made the playoffs. Like, great, you make the playoffs. To someone that hasn't been around the program, it's like, great, you make the playoffs, big deal. But to go from a team that won one, basically we won one game the year before, and they couldn't wait for the season to be over, to now fast forward a year later, and we beat Damon at home, and there's a video on my Instagram of the celebration that we had in the locker room. And those two years kind of put made everything worth it because they believed in something that no one else ever thought that they could have done. Right. And when you win after losing so much and 
having no one believe in you. And I was really the only one that really believed in them, which is why is a big part of why I got the job, which, which I mean, it was great. And I'm getting a little choked up doing this now, but now you fast forward a year later, we're playing Malloy in a playoff game that's sold out. They're not even letting people go into the stands anymore. Who could have imagined a year before? They just couldn't wait for it to be over. Right. And now you give them something to look forward to that they gave up on already. And that's why we were able to build a, such a good recruiting class because now it was like, all right, they had the success. I got parents and people from around the area to really believe in what I was doing from my relationship with them prior, whatever the case may be. And now it's like, look at all the things that we could do. They were so damn excited. And unfortunately, we lost that playoff game that Wednesday to Malloy. That following Monday, campus got closed down, and I would have never thought that that post-game talk at Malloy would have been the last time we were ever together. Crazy. And it was only the beginning of what we could have done. So it sucks for me, but it sucks more for them. How are you going to tell a college freshman a week before school starts, oh, you got to find a new home after you convinced the kid and the parents that had other scholarship offers to come choose us instead of choosing all the other options that they could have gone to. It's messed up, man. Yeah, well, listen, it's not any fault, anybody's fault. I, you know, I think about yeah, just all the reverberating effects. Like, you're affected, I'm affected. Look, my son is over there. Absolutely. It's just so many different things that have happened. But, you know, at the same time, like, we wouldn't be in this room right now. We, we'd Absolutely. be completely busy. And I just don't know how things are going to coexist yeah. now, now that we're so used to the way this is now. Not to say that we're not going to go back to normal, because we will. But you What's get what I'm saying? going to be, though. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm, know, I'm cool with just doing podcasts personally. You know, I, I've loved it. It's been such a <laughs> hobby of mine now Yeah, where I'm just talking basketball and getting to know people and listening to podcasts too, listening to some of the podcasts of you done with other people. And you could always learn from someone. Yeah, I'm absolutely. You're just doing this podcast and you're just telling me your story or whatever the case may be. But to answer your question, how to go about what I'm doing next, I'm just living in now. I think one thing that we should learn that we all should appreciate is just Tomorrow, nothing's ever promised you. Be happy where you're at. Yeah, be happy where you're at. Be happy that you're healthy. Yeah. Be happy with the people that you have. But I do know that with my next college coaching job, wherever that may be, whether it's a head coach at a program or if I'm being an assistant for another staff, I know that this is what I want to do the rest of my life. This is my personal curiosity. Would you ever uh, go like a the double A round, the Catholic League? Would you ever be into that? Haven't really thought about it too much. It had to be the right fit. Mm. Like, of course. Okay, so you'd be open to it. Yeah, because coaching's coaching. Yeah, and that's something I learned doing everything with level up. Yeah, to be, I got just as much of a thrill coach on my third grade team when me and you were getting after it in the (laughs) sidelines as I do when we're winning in college or whatever the case may be. Coaching's coaching, and yes, I I miss the recruiting. I miss the I miss the relationships. Just this is the first time I've ever not been a part of a season since I was. I can't even remember. Join the club. Right? Everybody. And what's also crazy, too, is that my best friend lives in Florida, and he uh, he's the assistant coach for a like a prep school. And um, it's so weird how he thinks it's weird that we don't have anything, and I find it so weird that they have something. Right? right? And it's like, this is the same country. Even though they have, Every like, no rules. Has different rules. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. I think the quicker we all get on the same rules, the quicker that we all abide by the same rules all safely and, and able to do that. But, um, you know, I think it's been a pleasure to just at least find some sort of clarity and, and still be involved in the game of basketball, even though it's kind of bits and pieces. But um, I did want to ask, and obviously the most thickest situation that you've ever had as a coach is getting the whole program just lifted up under you. Um, what's the most thickest situation that you've ever had, had as a basketball player? It's a great question, man. That's something I'm definitely going to think about and you're going to put me on the spot. But in terms of a basketball player, is it like in the middle of a game or something that I had to overcome that was involved with basketball? Anything. 
probably my senior year when I just didn't have the scholarship offers that I wanted to get. Just that whole experience was just, it was mentally draining because you're like, you know, you're good enough. You've done everything that you can possibly can control to get the scholarship offers. You want to have the opportunities that you want. And for whatever reason, it's like somebody else needs to think that about you, not you. And at that time, like, I was worried. I was too worried too much about the things that I had no control over. And looking back 10 years later, it's like I would have told myself to just chill the hell out. <laughs> just calm down. Like when you were like 19, talking about when you first started coaching to now and it's different. And you don't realize it back then. Yeah. But I think that, that going through that whole year of struggling to get the college scholarship offers that I wanted, it, it affected me socially too. It made me not want to be around people. Because I was like, in a way, I was like embarrassed. And it's like, what, what am I embarrassed? Of? Yeah. Like, if it makes you feel better, I realized I wasn't going to make the NBA once we lost to Bishop Lachlan by 80 points. <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. Man, Bishop um, Lachlan's a crazy place. <laughs> no, I appreciate you, man. And you've been, you're a great friend now. And what you've done with your podcast is just inspirational. You're almost at 300 now. And just the amount of people that you're given a platform for that wouldn't have had this opportunity you don't care. Like one, like what's cool about your podcast is one day you could, you can get an NBA player on one day. The next day you get this rep that no one cares about. But to you, the NBA player story is just as important as the freshman rep. That I also think story. that, I think it's yeah, at the same time, I think it fortifies the community because like maybe you'll see them at Island Garden or you'll see them at a level up game and you're at Spooky Nook or something. And you're like, oh, I know about this guy. Let yeah, me let me ease up. And your platform, which is awesome. And for I me. didn't know about your platform until I think Jesse was on it, mm. and I was like, "Who the hell's referee rant?" And then I saw your face. And I was like, "Well, it I'm was never like- going to be on this." <laughs> that, but it's it's cool that that happened, and everything is cool now. But now nah, it was uh, this has been great. It's been fun, and it's been fun learning from you. And now me having a podcast with Jesse, like. Getting to know you and doing this twice with you now, you made me way better at doing that. That means a lot to me, man. That's what it's all about. Man. I got one more final question to you, man. Basketball has brought you so many different places. It's made you live a couple of miles from the Dead Sea. It's made you go to Holy Child in a two hours span right now. Um, it got you talking real crazy. Um, your mom worked for NFL Films. Your dad was a baseball guy and you still was bouncing the ball. It's brought you to so many different places it made you have so many ups and downs, some some highs and some big disappointments. What does basketball mean to you? What is it given to you in your life? Everything. Because socially, I don't have most of the friends that I have if it wasn't for basketball. Mm. Mentally, it challenged me in a way to overcome adversity that you face in the real world that I wouldn't have if, if it wasn't for basketball. Some of the high school and college practices that I've been through where you feel like you're never going to get through it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm going through now. Waiting for the next opportunity to get the coaching job that I'm really going to want because as much as I love Level Up and as much as I love working with my kids, that's not what I want to do the rest of my life. I know that I have so much to offer to a college program and so much to give back to and wherever that may be, I'll be ready for it from day one. And I don't want to just take a job just to take it. I want to take the right job where I really feel like I can make my input in the program and it's a program that could really be successful and do things the right way. But basketball has given me everything. It's too, there's too much to say to not answer that question, but it's just helped me make it helped me become the man that I am today. Yeah. And that's the 
most beautiful thing about sports. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And we'll definitely keep some more room for part three, whenever that is, whether that's your 30th birthday or maybe next year when this whole pandemic is done and then uh, we're back at Island Garden getting yelled at or whatever. <laughs> or maybe we'll do a pickup game where I, I'll show you my, my newly unveiled mechanics of my jump shot that I'm still working on. I think that's where it needs to be. I, I got to see you in the court, man. Yo, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I, you know who I play like? I play like Draymond and I play like Rondo. So you bring that energy, but you also have that, mental side of yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm also I'm also old now, so I don't know how I would be able to go up and down. I haven't played in like eight years like that. But um I, I already know what it's gonna take for Anytime me. Anytime you want to get in the gym, man, I'll give you a couple of workouts on me where you can get in shape a little All bit right. and we'll play. Yeah that listen. option will always be open for you. You let me know I'll get you back in the gym a little All bit. Right. I know you do things with Mike Kaplan, but basketball <laughs> basketball workouts a lot like, Oh I know so I never had any of that but um you need I, both. Yeah absolutely any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I just, I appreciate you. I appreciate you grind. Keep doing what you're doing. And it's been a pleasure being on your podcast, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I appreciate your empty wine bottles that I put water in and, and your toilet paper that you let me uh, you, open up. You make it work, man. Just <laughs> testament to you before we even started. You were like, I don't ever panic. And something that this small, like, if you, as a coach, as anything that you're doing, if your team and the people that are following you see you panic, then they're going to panic. Yeah, you, stay humble, man. You can, you can never panic when you have Charmin Essentials Strong, which is three <laughs> times stronger, three times plus. Wow, yeah, it worked out for a couple <laughs> while, man. For Evan Conti, Ralph the Ref, this is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.